0: It is uh, so good to be here with you today. Thank you for joining us as we unite our hearts together to worship the Lord and uh, to dig into God's word. If we haven't had the chance personally to get to meet, um, I'd love to uh, have you come introduce yourself. My name's Alan. I get the privilege of getting to be the lead pastor here at Bethel, and uh, we're just so uh, honored and grateful that you would take time to join us today. So thank you for coming. Um, a couple just quick notes, and then we're going to pray and prepare our hearts to hear from God's word. The first one is this. Um, you may have noticed if you were here, let's say five minutes before we got started today or last week, that we have moved our main section of announcements to a few minutes before the service starts during kind of that countdown window. Now, if you happen to be coming in at 11 or 1101 or eleven or 1103, you don't know that. Okay. So I'm mentioning this to you now because this is going to be a little bit of a new rhythm for us. So in terms of arrival time, I would encourage you to try and make it, you know, like five to, or I guess 10, not 11, five to 10. Okay. You really missed a lot if you're showing up at 11. Um, (laughs) five to ten or so um, to be able to check those out. And then you can also pop online or on your way in, maybe you saw them. There's these little stands by each of the exits there where you can scan a QR code and you can also get access to um, the updates of all that's going on around the church um, right now and see the weekly emails and all those sort of things. There are loads of things going on as we start the new ministry year. And so be sure to check those out. Uh, One thing specifically I want to highlight that's a significant thing in the life of the startup of our church year is uh, this Thursday night, we have our volunteer kickoff evening. This is a a rally together for all those who are serving in any area within our ministries of our church or who are interested in finding out more about where you might find a place to serve. And so this is going to be a wonderful time. There's going to be some delicious food. Okay, it's delicious food. Uh, there is also going to be a great time of encouragement, prayer, and just uh, preparing for the year that is ahead. So that is this Thursday night. You do need to register in advance so you can find out details at the Welcome Center, or you can pop onto our website. Either of those will be able to direct you to where you can register for that this Thursday night here. Let's bow our hearts together and let's pray as we come to the word today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning already, for the time that we have had where we've been able to unite our hearts and our voices in expressions of praise to you. You are deserving and worthy of our worship, these words that we have sung, and so much more. You are worthy of our very lives As we just sang in that last song, where does our help come from? It comes from you, Lord. We look to you. We've been looking to you. As we come to your word now, oh, Lord, would you speak? Again, we are looking to you, the living God. You are alive. Your word is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword to pierce right to our very hearts and souls. Holy Spirit, lead us. Illuminate the truth of your word. Apply it to our lives in the ways you know we each uniquely need that Jesus Christ might receive all the glory. For in his name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Last week, we began a new teaching series in the book of Acts, where we're going to be for the next little while. And the Acts is an incredible book where it recounts the formation of the church. In your Bibles, in the start of the New Testament, you've got four Gospels, which recount the the life and the death of Jesus Christ. And then Acts is uh, the the second part of Luke's writing. Luke really wrote a two-part sequel here the Gospel of Luke, and then the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke gives to us the recounting of the church's formation, how the Spirit of God worked through those early believers to to establish and ground the church. And and we saw last week this big idea. And you can listen to the whole sermon online if you weren't with us but here's a quick little two-minute unpacking of it, reminder for us. We saw last week that we are entering into the history of the Holy Spirit's work in the church. As we study the book of Acts, as we saw in that introductory first 12 verses, but then also as we consider the whole book of Acts, we are entering into the history of the Holy Spirit's work in the church. And we talked about three parts to that sentence. Okay, so the first is the word history. What we are seeing in the book of Acts, last week, this week, in the weeks ahead, is history. Yes, it's from a couple thousand years ago, but this is actual people, actual places, actual events, historical, real places and times and things that went down. This is a historical recounting of what God did. This is not just mythology. This is not just, um, you know, fantasy we are going to see that, yes, God does some incredible miracles, but all of it is grounded within history. Okay, so that was one part. The second part we saw is that this is all about the work of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is jam-packed, With evidence and examples and things for us to learn about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, of his work in the church, through the church, and amongst the church and in the world. And we are going to see all kinds of examples and much to learn from God about the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, we saw that we are entering into this text. And and in one sense, you could say we're doing that by studying through verse by verse of this book. But more than that, what we are discovering, what we were even initiated with last week, is that in the book of Acts, we actually find ourselves entering into the story of the Holy Spirit building his church in actual places amongst actual people in real life, in history. We actually are part of the story that Jesus last week gave to his disciples, this command, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And that was passed on from them to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation, on and on and on, all the way down to that's why you're here, because someone took up that call. And that's what we are called to do is to take up that call to be witnesses for Jesus, what we have heard him do and seen him do to tell others to join God in his mission to reach the very ends of the earth. So that's what we saw last week. That's what tees up this whole study that we are in in the book of Acts. But there's a question that inevitably pops into, I think, almost every one of our minds if we take that statement as truth, if we actually are to internalize that statement. The question that pops into every single one of our minds when we hear that is, am I really able to enter into this giant work that God is doing? There, there is this hesitancy that pops into this for every single one of us, I think, to some degree or another, when we hear, okay, if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, you are to be part of God's work to reach the nation's. Okay, that's true, not for your neighbor beside you, but that's true for every single person in this room who is a follower of Jesus Christ. And so if that's you and you really start to internalize and then if you're really honest, you probably start to have this thought be like, uh, really me? I don't know if I can really do that. And there's all kinds of ways that this starts to kind of manifest itself. Maybe for some of us, it feels like a task that's just too scary. You hear that and you, you equate immediately, I don't know, like a setting like this, a stage, a group of people, and you're like, I can't stand up in front of a whole bunch of people and talk. I can't do that. That's not for me. I'd never be able to do that. Or, or maybe for others of us, that that idea just seems too big. To reach the ends of the earth and be a part of that? I mean, I, I'm just, I'm a mom living in a small southwestern Ontario town trying to raise my kids. You really reach the ends of the earth? I, I, I've, I've entered into retirement. My body can't do what it used to be able to do. I don't have the energy and strength to be able to go and do all these things. Really? Me? Really? That's way too big for anything I could be a part of. Or, Or maybe we say... I don't know what to say. I mean, people have all kinds of questions, right? The idea of standing up and being a witness, people have pushbacks, people have questions, people have wonderings. I don't know my Bible that well. I don't know how to speak quickly on my feet that well. I don't know how to address all these different things. I don't know what I'd say to be a a part of this whole mission of God. Or maybe you're like, you know what? you, Alan, you got no idea what's going on in my life. If you only knew, if you only knew what was actually going on in my life, then, then you would know that this is not talking to me. I, I mean, I, I can't kick fill-in-the-blank sin. Try and try and try as I might, just keep stumbling back into it. I, I, I know I should do better, but I can't even have a regular quiet time Five out of seven days in the week. You really think me? You, you don't know what's all going on in my life. All the challenges that I'm facing right now, all the struggles that I'm dealing with, all the, the grief that I'm going through in the midst of loss. You don't know how busy I am with all the things that are going on in school or in work or within my family or the circles or on and on and on. There's just no way... If you only knew what was going on in my life, then you would know this isn't really applicable for me. Or maybe, maybe your response to all of this is like, yeah, I agree with this in theory. Like, I agree in theory. Every Christian is supposed to be a part of God's work to be a witness around the world. I agree with that. And, and sure, there are some, some little things that I will do. I'll, I'll do a little bit here and give a little bit there and be a little bit part of this. But, but maybe, maybe you don't say this out loud. But the thought in our heads is, you know, I, I think I'll do my little bit. And then I'm going to leave the heavy lifting to another person. I, am just going to let that person over there who surely is a whole lot more qualified, a whole lot more able, a whole lot more ready, a whole lot more mature, a whole lot more whatever it is in your mind that you think is lacking. They're able surely to do it. And, and I'm just going to kind of like fade into the background and stop making eye contact with you right now. Cause this is for somebody else. For these and so many other reasons I could probably give as well, we hear a statement like, we are to enter into the Holy Spirit's work in history as he built his church and we're like, yeah, but me? Really? to which our text today is going to challenge each one of us. If we find ourselves there, it is going to challenge each one of us to take our eyes off of ourselves because the common thing amongst all of those things I just listed is our eyes are on me. I'm looking to me. And our text is going to take our eyes off of ourselves to look upon God and to see this incredible work that God is doing and offering us an invitation to simply by faith to join him as we marvel at his amazing work. So if you haven't already, grab your Bible, Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Here's how God's word begins. Turn with me there to read along. Acts 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Okay, so verse 9 to 11, if you remember from last week or if you just glance up on the page there, the disciples had just been with Jesus. And Jesus, in front of their very eyes, ascended into heaven, into the clouds. The angel showed up and said, why are you standing here looking around? You can go, and and you need to go, and you need to wait for what Jesus said back in the start of chapter 1 for the Holy Spirit. And so then they returned to Jerusalem. That's talking about those disciples who were there with Jesus. They walked back towards the city from the Mount of Olives. When they arrived in Jerusalem, verse 13, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all joined constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers." So the group of 11 apostles plus a bunch of other disciples are there together in this upper room to pray. Now I want you to notice, first of all, in that list of apostles, how many was there there? If you want to count them or if you know off the top of your head, how many apostles are listed in those verses? 11. Okay. There's one missing. Who's the one who's missing? Judas. Judas is missing, right? And, and maybe you know this story or to remind us to, to, to just bring this back to recollection. Judas is the one who was one of the 12 who betrayed Jesus, stabbed him in the back for 30 pieces of silver, betrayed Jesus over to the chief priest, had him arrested, and then ultimately this led to the whole crucifixion and everything, Right? So you, you maybe know that story a little bit, but I want us to try, if we can, to and enter into the text. I want us to try to imagine what it would have been like to be the disciples reflecting upon the other 11 apostles or the group that is with them, reflecting upon Judas Surely at this moment, the, the sting, thinking back to all that Judas had done, is just so deep, wouldn't it imagine? The, the, the bitterness is still just like on their tongues and they can taste it. The angst in their stomach that makes them feel like they want to be sick. I mean, he was one of the inner circle. He was one of the chosen 12. I mean there was a whole bunch that followed Jesus, but Judas was one of the special ones who was set aside. He was he was there. I mean, Judas saw all the stuff they saw, the miracles the healings, the, the raising the dead. He, he listened to all the teaching that Jesus did. He sat at Jesus feet. He walked the paths with the disciples for years with them there. And, and not only is it that man, this guy was there and heard and engaged and was present with all this stuff that Jesus did. But think about it. Like he was like a brother in arms, right? He was like one of their close friends. They'd all left everything to come and follow this guy. They ate meals together. They they went to battle together. They had each other's back. And now Judas stabbed Jesus in the back. Judas, for a few pieces of money, sold Jesus out. And not only did he stab Judas in the back, or Jesus in the back, but Judas also abandoned them. Judas turned his back on all of them and betrayed all of them. And and surely in the midst of all of these feelings going on inside of them, there are these questions that would start to be flowing around in their heads too, right? Right? I mean, mean, here's a few that kind of like popped into my mind. How could this have happened? How could one of our own, one of the 12 do this? I thought he was one of us. How could he see all that we saw and still do that to Jesus? But I think the questions go even deeper than that. Like what happens with God's plan now? right? Like if you think about it, if one of us, the closest circle of his followers saw all that he did and still turned his back upon Jesus and the rest of us, don't you start looking around that room? Don't you start wondering, can I really trust you? I mean, Judas was the one who was so trusted that Jesus gave him the money for all of them. He was like inner circle, you would think. What's going to happen with the rest of us? What's going to happen with God's plan? Is anybody really going to follow through? I know, I know we just saw Jesus raised from the dead. And that's incredible and amazing and wonderful. And not to take anything away from that. But how do you not also have these thoughts going through your head as you sit there and look around this room and are wrestling with all of this of like, What do we make of, can we really actually do all that Jesus just told us to do? Really? We don't see these explicit questions voiced from the disciples. But Peter's going to stand up and what he's going to speak to, I think, undeniably shows he was either hearing them say these questions or he could just see it inside them. Look what he says next. In those days, verse 15, Peter stood up amongst the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Verse 18, this little parenthesis, with the reward Judas got for his wickedness, he bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out and everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called the field in their language Al uh, Kadama, that is the field of blood. Luke adds this little kind of historical parenthesis here in verse 18 and 19. If you go over to Matthew, chapter 27, we get a little more information about this whole thing. After Judas realized what he had done, he tried to go back. He was so guilt-ridden and overcome with, what have I done now? He tries to sell the money, or give the money back to the the high priest. And they're like, no, we don't want anything to do with this. And he is just overcome with conviction, goes and hangs himself in this field and dies. And so there's this little kind of like Here's a little more historical facts. Remember, we're doing history here. But the bigger point is Peter says, here's my paraphrase of the introductory words of Peter. Brothers, sisters, I know what you're feeling. Don't be discouraged. I know what you're wondering. Don't freak out. I know the thoughts that are going on inside of you. I know the questions you're asking. I know the wrestlings you're feeling. I know the bitterness that is within your mouth and your soul. But don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Because, hear this Bethel, God is at work. Don't lose heart, God is at work. Verse 17, it says this, he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. That's a fascinating sentence in the original language. The way the NIV has it translated here, you would probably gloss right by it and not even notice. There's a couple other English translations that capture this far better. The word there, shared in that sentence. He shared in our ministry. In the original language, where this was originally written in Greek, that word shared in the ministry literally means the casting of lots, the rolling of a dice. Spin the wheel and it landed on this number. Draw straws and you got this one. Judas was part of the 12 because the lot landed on him. That's what Peter says right there. Now, in the back of his mind, undoubtedly is this scripture, Proverbs 16, verse 13. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The lot is thrown, the die are rolled, and you look at it, and you see them, and you're like, man, this is totally random. They landed on whatever they landed on. No, 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 no. Because our God is at work. Because our God is in control of all things. Because our God is sovereign over everything, you roll the dice and they land on exactly what God decided. That's what Proverbs says. That's what Peter is pointing to. Hey, everybody, I know you've got these wrestlings about Jesus, and I know he just did all that he did, but he was numbered amongst us as one of the 12 because of God's meticulous, perfect plan. And not only was Judas numbered amongst us as one of the 12, but what he did was part of God's perfect, meticulous plan. How do you know that I'm following on the right track here? Look at what he says. Let's look back. He quotes here two Psalms. First, he says in verse 16, the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas. For... It is written in the book of the Psalms, may this place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. He quotes two Psalms here. First Psalm he quotes is Psalm 69, verse 25. And what's happening is after Jesus has died, been buried, been raised to life, now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is working amongst the disciples here, amongst Peter in his own reflections, and and it's changing the way Peter reads the Old Testament. See, for their entire lives up to this point, they've been reading the Old Testament and generations before them have been reading the Old Testament, and all of the Old Testament is pointing ahead to something. Someone, a grand event where Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior would come. And it's all pointing ahead to that. Then he comes and now all of a sudden, for the first time in the history of all of this, after Jesus has now ascended into heaven, Peter starts to say, hey, wait a minute. We need to now read back and see how that was all pointing to Jesus. And and the Holy Spirit seems to just give insight into Peter's soul to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you remember that psalm? Do you remember that psalm that actually, I know it was written hundreds of years ago. I know it was written by David, but the Holy Spirit led him to actually talk about Judas. Judas. He, he knew what was going to happen, that this betrayer was going to turn his back on the Christ and would ultimately get a bunch of money and sell his land and the land would be abandoned. That, that's what, oh, there's these light bulb moments going off for Peter. That's what was going on in this psalm. Hey, everyone, this is not a mistake. I I know, I know, I know that Satan entered into Judas. And I love this. Luke 22, I skipped over the slides at the back, guys. You're gonna have to jump back a slide. Sorry for missing this one. But we read, then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the 12, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. And they were delighted and agreed to give him money. I, I know Satan thought, oh, I've got him. I've got the perfect way to crush God's plan. I finally got an inroad. I finally got a crack in the door to stick my foot in a little wedge. He entered into Judas. Oh, this is perfect. Except Satan did exactly what God had planned. Satan thought he had the ultimate trump card to defeat the ways of God. And God is like, you just fulfilled exactly what I said was going to happen. Oh, disciples, Peter says to the crowd that is there with him, the 120. You need to hear this. I know you might be torn up inside. I know there are so many questions. I know this mission that Jesus has given in front of us seems so huge. I know Judas just did this incredibly wicked and horrible thing. I know it sends all of us at one level into this turmoil inside. But do not lose heart. God is at work in the midst of all of it. Bethel, we need to hear this. I know in this room a few of the things that are going on in a few of your lives and I know there's a whole lot that I don't know I know that there are all these things going on that turn us upside down and make us feel like I have no idea what's up from down or left from right. I have no idea how to go forward. I don't know how to keep pushing on. I know there are all these things that leave us with uncertainty. And when you hear someone like me stand up and say, hey, do you know what? God has a purpose for your life not the person next to you, for you to join him in reaching the nations and being a witness in incredible ways for Jesus. I know that there are all these things that will pop into so many of our minds. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, you don't know. I can't, all of these things, if you only knew. And what we need to hear today, dear friends, is the same God who was not taken aback by Judas, who was not surprised by the betrayal, who was not overcome by this problem going on, who was actually meticulously organizing all of history is at work in our lives, in our day, in our families, in our church, in the circles of our lives too. Now, oh, how we would love to be able to get the light bulb moment that Peter got, wouldn't we? Oh, I see how the dots connect. Who in this room doesn't want that moment? I know you all do, and so do I. How does this make sense? I don't get it. And sometimes God connects those dots. Most of the time, he doesn't. But that does not mean he's not working. Just because it might seem foggy or confusing does not mean God's plan has been thwarted. Just because everything seems upside down and turned all around and you have all kinds of unanswered questions does not mean that God is off the throne and not still in control at this exact moment. And it surely doesn't mean that he was wrong or misguided or looking for another person to be a part of his mission instead of you. God is at work. He was then, and he is now. And notice here, Peter quotes a second verse. Psalm 109, verse 8. It also talks about this innocent servant of God who's betrayed and verse 8 says the betrayer needs to be replaced with a different person into his leadership position. And Peter again is like, ding, 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 ding. ding. I know what that was talking about. That means we need to replace Judas. He, he says as much, verse 21. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. From one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed, they put forward two guys. Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. What a beautiful prayer. You're the heart knower, God. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then look at this. They cast what? And the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Peter says, because of what I've just come to see and realize from the Old Testament in this psalm, we need to replace Judas with another. We need to get back to 12. Now, in reading this passage, does the question pop into your head at all? Why? Why? Does that question pop in your head? Why do we need to replace the 12? Why do we need to get another to fill in Judas's spot? Why can't we just continue on with the 11? Why does that, does that question pop in your head? It popped into mine. I think that's an important question. And I think it becomes even more pronounced because if you were to today, and you could do this this afternoon over a couple of hours, if you were to read through the entire book of Acts this afternoon, do you know that you will never find Matthias mentioned again? Do you know that? So, so wait a minute here. Let's put this together. Okay, so Peter's like, "All right, guys, guys, we got this really important thing we got to do. We need to replace Judas with a new guy. Let's cast lots." lands on Matthias. This is so important. Luke is like, we got to write this into the book as we recount the whole history. And then we're n- never going to talk about him again. We're never going to mention his name. I mean, now, of course, you see the apostles as a whole group mentioned. So he's in there, but, but you never hear Matthias again. He never comes on the radar. And so, so I think it has to lead us to beg this question a little bit. Why does this matter? Why does it matter? Why is this such a big deal for Peter? Why did Luke include this? Of all the things he could include in the history of the church getting formed, why does he include this story? Let me show you why and let me show you how this connects to the wrestlings we all have wondering about, do I really have a part in God's mission? First, I want you to notice, I had you say it. Let me ask the question again. How was Matthias picked? Come on, church, don't be shy. The casting of lots. The phrase that is used, and this is why I say you might not even catch it if you're reading the NIV translation that we use. But the phrase that is used here, the lot fell on Matthias, is the exact same original language phrase, the lot fell on Judas, Judas shared in our ministry. It's the same phrase repeated here again. Okay, so the first thing we see is this too is exactly according to God's plan. We are looking to God, the heart knower of everything, and God is the determiner of Judas being a part of the 12 and now Matthias being a part of the 12. That's the first thing we need to notice. The second thing is the number 12. This is no coincidence. Jesus, see what the disciples are doing here is they're going back to what Jesus had initiated, right? He has a whole bunch of followers that are going along with him and then he calls out 12 to be his apostles. And when Jesus did that and when the gathering here that Peter is initiating go back to the 12, they are undeniably hearkening back to another group of 12 men. They are looking back now upon the book of Genesis. And if you know your Bible history at all, you might remember a guy named Abraham. Abraham was a special man who the Lord made a covenant with to create a new people for himself. He said, I am going to bless you and I'm going to bless the nations through you, Abraham. And then Abraham miraculously at a really old age had a son named Isaac. God came to Isaac. We read this in the book of Genesis and said, I'm going to bless you. I've made a covenant with you and with your family. And then Isaac had two sons and God chose the younger son, Jacob. And God said to Jacob, I have a special plan for you. I am going to bless the nations through you. I am going to use your family. And then Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob had some sons. Does anyone want to guess how many sons Jacob had? Jacob had 12 sons. Jacob had 12 sons. You can read their names. The slide will be up here on the screen. Genesis 35, 22 to 26 are the 12 sons of Jacob. The 12 sons of Jacob became the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel, the people of God. The set apart, chosen, selected, special people, covenant-bearing people of God all came out from under this family going back to these 12 individuals. When Jesus came and called 12 apostles and then Judas betrayed Jesus and Peter gathers them up and says, we need to get back to 12. The point isn't to focus on Matthias per se. The point isn't, oh, all the attention needs to go to Matthias. He's a really big deal. We need to all get excited about Matthias. Let's focus on him. We see that very clearly because he never gets mentioned again. Here's the point. Twelve come back together. Because just as the twelve sons of Jacob became the top of the fountain for the people of God, the Jews who all ethnically found their fathers, mothers, parents, back to those 12, a new people of God is being formed right in front of our eyes. A new people of God is being formed right here, founded upon a new 12 that is not based upon what family you're born into. It is not based upon what is your ethnicity It is not based upon what is your status in life, your income, the color of your skin, your background, or anything else. There is a new people of God that is being formed starting with these 12 that is going to be of people, men and women, young and old, from every people, nation, tribe, and tongue that is going to be united in faith in Jesus Christ. And it all starts with these 12. And so the first big part of this to, to realize, to, to internalize, to take away for all of us is if you are here today and you haven't yet become part of the family of God by putting your faith in Jesus, what this text is showing us undoubtedly is there's an invitation to you. No matter where you're from, no matter what your background is, no matter matter what you've done, no matter all these things, there is an invitation to you to to join the family of God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ today. And then for every single one of us who already has or who does put their faith in Jesus Christ, here's what this means. God is doing a work. To build a people for himself, he's doing it all. He's doing all of it, friends. He is the one who is sovereignly in control. He is the grand architect of all of history. He is the one moving and working everything out for his perfect plan. God is at work. He's not looking. He's not looking here for someone to measure up to a certain measuring stick of spirituality or knowledge or goodness in and of yourself. He's not looking for the one who has the most knowledge. He's not looking to say, here's the entrance exam to be able to be used by God. Are you able to do? He's not saying, here, you need to be prepared in all these different kinds of ways. He's saying to us, friends... I've got a plan, and I am doing it. Look, look at what I'm doing. I'm even using Judas, the betrayer of my son, for my perfect plan to reach the nations, and all I'm asking for you to do, church, is to step out in faith and join me in what I'm doing. Or to put it another way, to take our eyes off ourselves and look to him. That's the call of this text. Take your eyes off yourself. Let let me take my eyes off myself and look at the God who is at work and say, God, where are you working? May you help me join you there.